This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. Today, uh, after the talk, we'll... uh... I was going to say celebrate, but it's more like commemorate uh, Buddha's Parinirvana. Um, it's maybe it's a little bit funny to make um, make too much of. that event uh, for um, uh, for someone for whom there is no coming or going. And not only that, who taught the rest of us that we are without coming or going. So maybe maybe in that sense, it is kind of paradoxically celebratory. So I hope you'll hang around for that. Not a whole lot of you out there, it looks like. So there's plenty of room. Uh, thinking recently that um, well, one thing I was thinking about was our um, emptiness teachings, which, from a certain point of view, is like uh, the quintessence of Buddha Dharma. And um, I was thinking that um, maybe, maybe especially in uh, Zen, people hear about those teachings fairly soon. Um, And that I, I don't know if they always arrive with a warning to be very careful with them. And not sort of uh, pass them around like candy. Uh, or a, um, what's that thing called? The, the glass thing that you smoke dope? Bong. 
in a way which sometimes gets passed around. I know y'all don't know about any of that stuff. That's all right. Um, uh, those those uh, teachings are um, well, it's interesting you know I we've been talking about uh, in our, our study hour we've mentioned the the basic Buddhist hermeneutic that is the basic interpretive principle for uh, Buddha Dharma particularly sutras and the like Anybody remember that? The distinction between the explicit or established teachings and the teachings that need interpretation. And I think there is, there, there uh, maybe uh, has been and still is some disagreement about whether the teachings of emptiness are the one or the other. Are they nitartha or neartha? Do they need interpreting or are they straightforward just as they are? Well, I, I think with a lot of things you could say, uh, you know, it depends. The uh, teachings as expressed, for instance, in the Perfect Wisdom Sutras, well, they're, you know, they're pretty, pretty straightforward. And yet they are easily misunderstood. So as I was thinking about how you, uh, how do you present them, I, I suddenly found myself reflecting on the, um, the person of um, uh, Paul of Tarsus. Uh, known to some as Paul the Apostle or Saint Paul, right? Familiar, yes. Ty, you, you uh, didn't grow up in a Christian environment, but you've heard of Saint Paul probably, yeah. Before I was 16. Um, he was the apostle who didn't actually meet Jesus. Oh. So he had this thing happen to him when he was, where was he writing to? Damascus. Um, anyway, um, uh, 
know, he's um, an interesting fellow. And um, some say he's kind of responsible for Christianity as we have it, more or less, nowadays. And he had much to do with its uh, kind of uh, evolving or moving from a kind of a funny little Jewish sect. into a, uh, a global phenomenon. Shoshan, would you turn the lights down a little bit, please? Did you put them closer to me? Hmm? Did you put the iPad closer? No, no, it's okay. If it's closer to me, I have to look at myself in more detail, which I'd rather not. Thank you. Um, Anyway, in, in the, uh, let's see, the uh, uh, the first letter uh, uh, to the church at Corinth, Lots of interesting stuff in there. Um, but I think at uh, various points, um, and enthusiastic as uh, Paul was about what he understood to be his mission, I think he he also noticed that, that what he was doing was a little funny and that he too had to be very careful about what he was doing. Uh, so um, in that letter, let's see if I can remember, he says, um, this is, uh, See, how's it go? It goes, um, let's see, Eon Tais Glossois Ton Anthropon Lalo Kai Ton Angelon. Agapen de me echo Gegona Halkos 
Έχουν. Ε, Σύμβαλον. Λαλάζον. That, believe it or not, was the Koine Greek in which he wrote. And that's where he says, uh, you know, I can be speaking all of the tongues of humankind or of angels. But without agape, I'm, I am a, is it a um, I am a noisy trumpet. Um, or a clanging symbol. And uh, so this, uh, you know, pivotal word there was a couple of interesting things. One is um, uh, in the Greek, he doesn't, he says, he says, I, he doesn't say you or you guys. So um, I think, you know, he recognized this danger and if you look at some of his writings, some of his other letters, you have to wonder if he was always speaking with agape. And that, of course, is the word that is often translated in English Bibles as love. But somehow that word, you know, it doesn't quite suit and in the, the Latin, in the Vulgate, you have caritas. And once in a while you see that in the English, and that's translated sometimes as charity, which is even worse. But um, anyway, I think uh, Paul was recognizing the danger of presenting teachings pretty much almost of any kind with, I don't know, uh, I, I can't, it's really hard to improve on the translation. Uh, there, I guess there are at least three, maybe four, maybe more words in Greek that could be translated as love, but it doesn't quite fit somehow. So sometimes you, you see, well, brotherly love. It's like, well, you know, I guess, but what about sisters? Anyway, agape is something like, uh, a sense of the other 
and the other's preciousness. Of course, that's too much of a mouthful to stick in a biblical passage, but it is something like that. And I think that Paul recognized that he could speak that way without agape and has had done so and probably would again. And uh, even uh, followers of the Buddha way who have been gifted with the extraordinary and powerful teachings of emptiness. It's uh, even more of a danger that because there's nobody there, we will fail to present the teaching or interact with others in a way that acknowledges the preciousness of the one who is not there. So I I don't exactly know how you avoid that. Except by uh, kind of uh, falling back on Buddha's uh, insight into the momentariness of our experience. And how the solidity of this body-mind, the apparent solidity of this body-mind and this life is uh, powerfully illusory. And that there is a, um, shall I say, this this momentariness, or the uh, in Sanskrit the kshanika, the momentariness of the human phenomenon, is a karmic key to, among other things, liberation. But it means that the mind of a moment is non-trivial. It means that the, the, a momentary, uh, even instantaneous acknowledgement of the preciousness of the other who is not actually there is karmically critical. 
even if in the next moment there's something, you know, less uh, praiseworthy, these momentary minds where the intention of respect, uh, compassion, and so forth. These momentary minds are karmically powerful and indispensable. So the issue with that, that letter to the church at Corinth is, is one of, well, if Paul is saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just clanging symbols if I have not love. It's like, well, how in hell do you do that? What's the doing of it, Paul? Hello, you out there, Paul? Anybody? I don't know if anyone is nowadays declaring to be in contact with the Apostle Paul, but anyway, as far as I know, all we have of what he said is pretty much in that book. And I don't think he says, nor does Jesus, how do you do the love thing? Although I, I myself may now be no more than a, a noisy trumpet. I would say how you do it is momentarily, momentarily, moment by moment by moment. And I don't think there is any other way. Now, maybe uh, there are some people who, you know, maybe they uh, heard that uh, teaching, they read that letter to the church at Corinth and, and just went on from there beaming with love. But I kind of doubt it. You see people sometimes say, well, look at Mr. Rogers or Mother Teresa. They were just, be you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think you've actually sat them down and zeroed in on their experience, they would have to admit to the whole spectrum of human, the human heart, the human emotional life. And certainly at times one may come down, you know, on the kind of, uh, Valentine's Day pink end of the spectrum and maybe hang there a while, but eventually you'll swing back to the middle. So then I, I, uh, I am trying to give proper acknowledgement to these momentary minds of compassion, respect, and so forth. 
and acknowledge how crucial that is in the one way of putting it in the stream of karmic life. These moments are indispensable and must not be disregarded because of their momentary quality. All minds are momentary. But even for an instant to bring up the mind of compassion, the mind of respect, the mind that acknowledges the preciousness of the other who isn't there, This embodies the Buddha way. Even in the midst of what is feeling like a kind of uh, maybe an angry storm, even then that storm is actually moments flashing by. And in the midst of that storm, like a lightning bolt, mind of compassion can be summoned just for that long. And yet maybe, maybe everyone has seen how a single lightning bolt illuminates the whole world. Are we recording this uh, clanging symbol, by the way? Oh, we are, okay. I, I ask that because maybe it will benefit someone someday down the road when this particular bodily manifestation is dust once again. So briefly, the, the Buddha way is now our responsibility, your responsibility. As to keep the teachings alive and energized means they, they you know, we need to have them at the ready. And our intention to embody the way, moment after moment and life after life, has to be front and center. That is the meaning of the Bodhisattva vows, of course. And that's uh, why in the past, I don't know, couple of years, I, uh, I always 
I began practice by dedicating the merit, whatever that is, to the liberation of every sentient being and to praying that as long as there is space, as long as there are suffering beings, may I be among them again and again. to help dispel their misery. So I, uh, I hope our, uh, our old friend, Paul, Found, found a way to uh, let Agape come to the fore. And uh, maybe if we could take him aside today and say, listen, Paul, did you mean that stuff about, well, I do not suffer a woman to teach? It's like, what? Come on. Hey, Paul. It's like, well, you know, actually, I was having a bad day when I wrote that. I kind of wish that letter had gotten lost in the Mediterranean, but they kept that one. So maybe he'd clarify that and realize, you know, Paulette, where's the agape in there? He had a, a few things to say that... Uh, Nowadays, he might say, yeah, that was the clanging symbol, and I'm sorry about that. Also, I'm inclined to think that, shall we say, he, he was uh, more drawn to his own gender than the opposite. And that, that caused him a lot of trouble, which is too bad. That's just my theory. We, however, nowadays, and in this uh, department of the Buddha way, we not only suffer women to teach, we invite them. So all people on the human spectrum, all persons of the way on that spectrum now carry and treasure the Buddha way and share it with others. And moment by moment, give rise to those minds that are a blessing as much as possible. And yes, we all have our bad days. And in the midst of such a day, the momentary mind, oh, Every day is a good day. 
is a flash of lightning. If, if you think you don't understand that yet, how every day is a good day, I would say, well, actually you do, but if you don't, or think you don't, you can return to the hall, as the Zennies liked to say. But as you go wandering off back to the hall, we will um, acknowledge the preciousness of you, you who aren't there quite. Just thinking, let's see, depending how you count, Jesus had 13 close friends, and then 12, of course. One got kind of lost in the shuffle. Today, it looks like we have three, six, nine, subtract me, that's eight. Add three of you back, that's 11. So we're doing pretty well. I used to have the fantasy when I was at Tassajara and, and, and feeling kind of frustrated that um, I was usually kind of the second fiddle. And during Ango, you know, a very important person would come and I would just kind of have to run around after them and keep them happy. So sometimes I would have this fantasy that I would repair to the mountains with 12 dedicated practitioners and, and spend my life there. But that has not happened and seems to be getting less likely. <laughs> so. It was never very likely. Now it's even less likely. So I am happy to have you guys to practice with. And through the magic of electronics, some of you are far away and you are nonetheless present. I, I only recently learned that uh, Brother Frank is actually in San Francisco. <laughs> so welcome. Perhaps our paths will cross. So we were going to have our little farewell to Shakyamuni, but maybe 
Do people have a question or comment today? Uh, Hokai Song? Yeah, thank you for your talk. I just started thinking about, <clears throat> I mean, I know your brother is a Catholic priest, but I'm still, you know, and my Protestant friends who are female are still upset that the Catholic Church will not ordain females. So I don't know if you have a comment on well, that. Or, yeah. that is already changing. And the, the immensity of the Catholic Church means that change is going to be very slow. But as you may know, Pope Francis has already uh, opened the diaconate to women. And that's a big step. I don't, what's the diaconate? I don't know what that is. The deacons are like uh, between oh, in, okay, the, in the deacons. and the clergy. Okay. They, they can perform a number of different functions. They can, well, they can do a bunch of things. And of course, you know, so certain persons are, are foaming at the mouth over that. No, no, this is, Jesus never meant that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it okay. is in spite of them. And I would imagine maybe one more generation, there will be women priests. So, yeah, it sure took them long enough. Thank you. Yeah, and I hope that the, I don't know what's going to happen for tradition, no, I shouldn't say traditional Buddhism, Theravada and Buddhism, because that seems also to have quite a big separation yeah. of gender. And that too, though, there, that is losing ground. It is? Oh, yeah. Number, you know, the, the number of now fully ordained bhikshunis, who had just, they've reestablished their own ordination tradition. Oh, that's the true. Yeah. Chagrin of <laughs> traditionalist male clergy <laughs> in the Theravadan mm -hmm. But it has happened, and it is going to continue, continue happening and spread wider and wider. And there is no way that will be opposed. So, Except I, I hear that, but it also always seems that the female bhikshini, bhikshinis will be lesser than a bhikshu like you know they're they're always you know back of the line in the food line you know i mean they're always <laughs> right so, yeah yeah male monastics female monastics male laity female laity but, so maybe that'll change i don't know yeah um uh and i have actually seen that changing even in fairly traditional environments some places i have been Okay. It's a traditional arrangement, and yet you'll see people say, oh, never mind, just come on. Okay. Like, oh, okay. Well, that's how it starts. That's good. Thank you. That's something a little bit related. Who is that? That's John. Oh, hi, John. I can't quite see you, but yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so when I was staying at Bluecliff Monastery in New York, I said to come on. I'm sorry, could you speak louder, John? 
Yeah, I'll try. Uh, when I was staying at the Thich Nhat Hanh Monastery in New York, uh, we had a person who was uh, cis female, but uh, male identified and living in the, in the men's schedule. But when they wanted to ordain, which they eventually did, they, uh, the community insisted that they ordain as a nun. And that person did. Uh, yeah. Do you know if, if there's any flexibility around that? Well, uh, I think I think I heard you. And um, as you may know, the traditional Vinayas bar ordination to persons who are not, uh, what do they call it? Um, binary, male or female. They're simply excluded. Now, is, did Buddha intend that? I rather doubt it. But uh, that's, you know, there are many people who will say, well, we can't do anything about it. It's in the Vinaya. So, you know, that seems to be the way that certain people interpret that right now. And yet, I'm quite sure that too will give way eventually. And this, the, the posture of, well, we can't change that. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, written down. Uh, you know, uh, eventually that will lose ground. It's already losing ground in some respects. And it will continue to do so. And, you know, someone always remembers that Buddha said, you know, uh, you know, just uh, keep the main rules. Those other ones you can change as needed. And then he died. So people run around saying, well, we don't know which ones are which, so we better not change anything. It's like, yeah, no, sorry, can't do that. You're going to have to come to grips with the conditions that present themselves now. And we'll keep those ones that say, you don't get to kill people or steal things, stuff like that. We'll keep those for sure. And because it really prevents a certain kind of insanity from creeping into monastic situations. We'll also probably keep, don't come here and have sex, okay? If you wanna have sex, great, but do that out there. Don't come here and do that. We'll probably keep that one. And most of the other stuff will adjust as need arises. I predict. Cheryl's on. Does um, SDBA or Soto Shu have any um, opinion on transgender or people who are non-binary? My impression is that all are welcome. And uh, except for maybe some very, uh, you know, uh, hard-edged enclaves in Japan, uh, you, you nowadays you see the Sotoshu expressing quite progressive attitudes in many respects. So I, I rather doubt um, if someone were to present themselves as a candidate for ordination, they get asked, are you binary? If not, get out of here. No, I don't think that happens. So.
Well, I hope maybe some folks can stay for the ceremony. It's just the usual thing. Make a few offerings, bow a few times, chant the heart of great compassion mantra. And uh, that's it. What does that say? From, oops, that said from Kado to everyone. Did he, did he have to leave? Oh no, there he is. No, I just put the chat in the chat. Oh, thank you. Okay, all right. So that great compassion mantra is in there in the, the chat, if you all want to join in. Okay, have a good weekend and have, have a good President's Day. Thank God we can say, yay, President's Day with a different feeling now, or at least I can. <laughs>